story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. For three months, you've been tracking a pair of hold-up men. There's no pattern to their operation. They're young. They're brutal. Your job, stop them. You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with other long cigarettes. You'll find they now cost the same. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see, Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended. And Fatima is extra mild, with a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. So compare Fatima yourself. Fatimas now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima. For quality, king-size cigarette. Best of all, long cigarettes. Start enjoying Fatima tomorrow. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end... From crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Sunday, March 3rd. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Harry Didion, captain of robbery. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the neighborhood bakery shop, and it was 8.45 a.m. when I got to Collis Avenue. Number 4656. Yeah. What happened? Wasn't the bank reopened? Oh, yeah, it was open. I got the stuff right here. Oh, they have any raisin bread? Yeah, right here. How about the butter horn? No, they don't make those on Sundays anymore. I got bear claws instead. Okay, well, let's get this stuff open. Okay. All right, here we are. Uh-huh. Where do you keep your eggs? In the refrigerator, right over there. Uh-huh. Find them? Yeah, I got them. You know, Joe, I don't like to say anything, but I can't keep coming over here to your place every morning. Well, it was your idea. Nobody asked you. Yeah, but I know how you are. You don't know how to cook a decent breakfast for yourself. Is the coffee ready yet? Uh-uh. No, it's not perking yet. Hey, you sure there's nothing wrong with this spot? It's been on for ten minutes. Yeah, well, you forgot to plug it in. Oh, uh-huh. Now, let's see. Well, what do you want? Well, better put the toast on. Do you always make the toast before you cook the eggs? Yeah. You remember yesterday, the toast was pretty cold. Oh, yeah, that's right. I better hold off for a minute. Yeah. Scrambled eggs okay? Well, we had them yesterday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is that the only way you know how to fix them? I know what you'd like. One of my Spanish omelets. When did you say your mother was coming back? Well, in about three more days. Yeah, that'll make a week, won't it? 
Yeah, that's right. Well, I guess I can work something out with Amy. Wife doesn't like me coming over here every morning like this. Well, I told you before, I can make out all right here. Oh, I know how it is. You think you're imposing. You'd be lost without your can opener. Say, is this uh, armwood of yours going to take very long? We haven't got very much time, you know. I'll have it on your plate in a jiffy. What time are we supposed to see those victims? 9.30 at the county hospital. Where's your tomatoes? Right in the refrigerator. Uh-huh. Yeah, 23 jobs in three months. Those guys really move, don't they? Yeah. Mm. Nice tomatoes, Joe. That Hollenbeck job last night. Vicious punks. Yeah, there's no reason to work the old man over the way they did. What'd the doctor say? Well, he's going to get over it all right, but they kicked out all of his front teeth. He's 50 years old. Same M.O. Every job. Aren't you going to peel those? No, skins are good for you. Now, uh, you got a nice big Bermuda? Hmm? Bermuda onion. Oh, yeah. I'll get you one. Kids. 19, 20-year-old stick-up artist. Knock a man's senses for a half a dollar. Robbing, slugging, kicking their way around the city. Yeah. This'll be one bunch I'll be glad to catch up with. Here's your onion. Good. Well, now, wait a minute. You're gonna peel that, aren't you? And lose half the flavor? I don't know. I always peel them. I see now. There now. Now, mix the whole works together... You gonna put it in that pan on the stove there? Yes, sir. Looks pretty hot, doesn't it? It's smoking. Joe, that's the way you cook a Spanish omelet. Hot, fire, and fast. Now, into the pan. The whole trick in making a good Spanish omelet is you gotta work fast. Yeah. What are all those little brown flakes on the top there? Oh, the onion skins, huh? No, I don't know. That doesn't look right to me. Wait till you taste it. I'll get it. Friday talking. Hilton Young, Joe. Romero there with you. Yeah, he's here. You two are supposed to see those robbery victims at the county hospital this morning, aren't you? Yeah, at 9.30. We'll cancel that out. Gonzalez and Powers are covering on that. Yeah, how come? Just got the call. South Grand and Colonial 211 on slugging. Same description. Looks like the kid bandits. All right, we'll get right on it. It's a newsstand near the corner. Right. Bye. Look at that, Joe. I just took it out of the pan. Yeah. Best Spanish omelet I ever made. That's too bad. We're not going to have time to eat it. 8.55 a.m. We left the house and drove to the scene of the holdup, one door from the corner of South Grand and Colonial Avenue. The victims were Mr. and Mrs. John Wilden, proprietors of a small newspaper and soft drink stand just off the intersection. Mrs. Wilden was being carried to a waiting ambulance when we got there. She was unconscious. From her forehead to her chin, her face was a swollen mass of welts. Her nose had been broken and she had fractures of the jaw and cheekbone. Her husband, John Wilden, age 56, had a single bruise on his forehead over his left eye. We questioned him after the ambulance attendants gave him first aid. His description of the holdup men tallied almost perfectly. One was a redhead, other one had dark hair, both about the same height. I'd say they're as tall as you are, officer. Matches, Joe. Kid bandit. Yeah. Had you ever seen either one of these men before, Mr. Wilden? Around the neighborhood, maybe? No, I never did. I don't know why they picked on Madeline and me for a holdup. We'd never been robbed before. We just got this little hole in the wall here. Don't see how it could look worthwhile to any crook. 
You usually open up this early on Sunday morning? Oh, yeah. Sunday's one of our big days, you see. We handle all the Sunday papers. You get our big trade from the people going to church up the street there. St. Joseph's? Yes, sir, I see. After the church lets out, most of the people head down this way and pick up the Sunday papers. We sell about 15, 20 papers after every Mass. It's a nice little business, you know. We close up after 12, 15. Well, when did the holdup take place? Can you remember that, sir? Well, I'd say 8.30, a few minutes after. I went down to the Athens Cafe down the street there. I wanted to get some change. I left Madeline here to handle the counter. Madeline, that's my wife. Yes, sir. And when I got back, she wasn't behind the counter. I took a look behind here and saw a cash box laying on the cement there, empty, and I didn't know what to think. Mm-hmm. What'd you do then? Well, I pushed through this door here. It's a little dinky storeroom just back at the counter. It's where we keep our supplies, candy and soda water. You mind if we take a look, sir? No, no, no. Come right ahead. Mm-hmm. You see, when I came in, first thing I saw was Madeline. That's my wife. And she was lying there on the boards moaning, had her hands over her face. The two young fellows are standing over her and both had guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did they do when they saw you? And they grabbed me and asked for money. I told them I didn't have any. I began to holler for help. One of them slugged me with his gun, and then they ran out. I'm still a little shaky. You mind if I sit down? And... Go ahead, sir. Oh, here. Let me get this box for yeah, you. Thank you. Say, I wonder if we could get you some water, or maybe a cold drink from the cooler. Oh, no, no. But you'll find a half pint behind those cases over there, a little brandy I keep put away. Oh, over here? Yes, that's right, behind those cases. Now, I don't usually drink on Sundays. This is an exception, I guess. Here you are, Mr. Roman. What's that on the floor there, Ben? No, near your foot there. Wait oh, I see. Oh, the light's not very good. Oh, it's a book of matches. Yeah. Are these yours, Mr. Wilden, these matches? No, I don't carry them. Well, your wife's, I guess, huh? I don't think so. Neither one of them smoke. What's that ad printed on the back here? Yeah? Big Ten Cafe, steaks, chop, short orders, open all night, West Pico. Do you handle cigarettes and cigars here, sir? No, sir. Candy, soft drinks, newspapers, that's all. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, inside of the matchbook cover, Joe, some scribbling on it. Mm. George Bell, S. Cameron, Fifth and Alameda. Uh, do you recognize this at all, Mr. Wilden? Big Ten Cafe... No, I've never been there. Now, how about the names here, inside the cover? George Bell, S. Cameron. No, I never heard of them. Well, when you first came in here, Mr. Whelan, do you remember where the holdup men were standing? Well, not too well. Uh, well, one was over there, and one was over there, I think. Could be, Joe. One of them might have dropped it. Uh-huh. Trace them from that matchbook? Do you think that's possible? I don't know yet. How would you trace them that way? Analysis? Some kind of scientific work? No, sir. Legwork. 9.28 a.m. We call latent fingerprints. As soon as they arrived, we dropped Mr. Wilden off at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital to see his wife. Ben and I drove back to the office. We had the crime report typed up and got out a supplementary broadcast on our original APB. We asked Frank Cunningham and R&I to run the names George Bell and S. Cameron through the files for a possible mate. We checked with a restaurant advertised on the cover of the matchbook. The Big Ten Cafe. The manager of the cafe failed to recognize either the names on the matchbook or the descriptions of the holdup men. 9.52. We checked back in at the office. I'll get it. 
Robbery to Merrill? Yeah, Frank. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Good, right. Thank you. Cunningham? You got a make on the name George Bell. Another one for Sam Cameron. Both of them run together. Got long juvenile records. Good. You got an address on them? Yeah. Won't be hard to run down. What do you mean? Main jail. Five days before, George Bell, a laborer, and Samuel Cameron, a part-time jewelry salesman, had been booked at the main jail on charges of being drunk and disorderly. The day after his arrest, Cameron was bailed out. Bell was still in the drunk tank. Ben and I went down to the main jail and talked to him. He didn't fit the description of either of the bandits. He was very cooperative, but he stated that he'd been very drunk and he couldn't remember too much. Just don't know, Sergeant. Sam and I went out and Tug went on. When it came to, we were here in the drunk tank. You have no idea at all how your names got on this matchbook. I'm trying to think. We're pretty well heated up, Sam and me. That's another thing, that dirty Sam. What do you mean? He got that friend of his to come up here and bail him out. Think he'd do anything for me? No. I bought the liquor. He lets me sit here now. Dirty Sam. You think he might remember about that matchbook? I don't know. I'm disgusted with him. If you see him, you can tell him that. Just let him know he's off my list. How about the address here on the matchbook, George? It says 5th and Alameda. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Were you and Cameron hitting some of the spots around that area? No, we were messing around over in Dogtown. Didn't get down by Alameda at all. Well, it must have some tie-in for you. Fifth and Alameda? No. Only guy I know down there is Sanchez. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah? Uh, just a minute. Sanchez. Gus Sanchez, sure. I wanted to see Gus. I thought he'd put up bail for us. Yeah, go ahead. I got it now. I think I have anyway. It was the morning after, and I woke up here in the tank. Oh, a big head, you know. Really whip. Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing I thought of was out. I figured Gus Sanchez might pop for bail. Friend of mine, you know. Gus works at the bar at Fifth and Alameda. That's it. Well, how's it tie in? Well, this other mooch is in the tank next to me. Somebody's popped bail for him, and he's getting out in an hour. So I asked him to call Gus for me, and he said he would. He wrote my name down, and he wrote down Sam's, too. A dirty Sam. And he took down Gus's address. Yeah, just an Alameda. You remember what this man looked like when he took your name? Oh, let's see. No, everything was going around. He was, he was kind of tall, I don't know. Would you remember him if you saw him again? Guy did me a favor. I'd remember him. Not like that dirty Sam. Well, how about his name? Did he tell you that? No, I didn't ask him. I should have, huh? You sure about the day this man was released? Positive. The same day I came in, Tuesday. Well, okay, Bell, thanks very much. We'll be checking back with you. Yeah, all right. Hey, what about this guy? You got to pay for them? Well, maybe if he's the one we want. Yeah, what'd he do? He lost his matches. Ben and I left the drunk tank and went down the hall to check with the officer in charge. We paged through the release book and found that seven men had been bailed out or discharged from the jail on the previous Tuesday. We went back to the record bureau and had them pull the mug shots on all seven men. Then we took the pictures back to the drunk tank and showed them to George Bell. No. 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 Yeah, this one, I think. Can't be sure. I think that's him. George Bell attentively identified the mugshot of a Fred Gunther, WMA, 21 years old. Gunther had a previous record of grand theft auto, purse snatching, and drunk charges. His picture matched closely with the description of one of the suspects. 4 a.m., we contacted the kid bandit's most recent victim, John Wilden, at his home. 
We asked him to look at the same group of mug shots that we'd shown to George Bell. Here. Here, this here. Here's one of them. You sure, Mr. Wilder? He's the one who slugged me. Who is he? His name's Fred Gunther. Well, then you know him. You want me to identify him? Yes, sir, when we find him. listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. Now, here's an authentic report from Fatima Cigarettes. 1949, Fatima more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. 1950, another record-breaking year, with more long cigarette smokers insisting on Fatima quality than ever before. In 1951, enjoy Fatima quality yourself. Yes, friends, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos. The finest Turkish and domestic varieties, extra mild and superbly blended. To give you a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Quality of manufacture. Smooth, plump cigarettes rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Quality. Even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow package. Carefully wrapped and sealed to bring you Fatima's rich, Fresh, extra mild flavor. Compare Fatima yourself. Fatimas now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Start enjoying Fatima quality yourself. Insist on Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. <laughs> Monday, March 4th, 9 a.m. We checked out the suspect, Fred Gunther. No trace of him at any of his previous addresses. We began checking with the other victims of the kid bandits. After a day and a half of legwork, we sat down and figured up the results. More than two-thirds of the victims definitely tabbed Gunther as one of the hold-up men. The next step was the record bureau. We had them pull the packages on every one of Gunther's known friends and associates. There were more than 30 of them. We had mug shots pulled on each one of them and made the rounds of the victims for the second time. Approximately half of the victims had singled out one picture as that of Gunther's partner in the holdups. We pulled the package on the man and checked his mama sheet. His name was Harold Reimers, WMA, age 19. Previous record included car stripping and one charge ADW, no conviction. Friday, March 8th. We continued our check of the friends and associates known to the two suspects, Gunther and Reimers. We got nowhere. Two weeks passed. On March 23rd, we got a tip from an informant about a girlfriend of Fred Gunther's, a vocalist working at a downtown dance hall during intermissions. Long haul. Yeah. One more flight. Mm-hmm. Climb four flights of stairs and then they expect you to dance. Yeah. Well, I guess this is it. Yeah, come on. Big enough floor, huh? Well, it shows a little wear. Place has been here for years. Look at those walls and that ceiling. Sure could use a fresh coat of paint. Is her name Stanley, is that right? Yeah, that's it. Uh, excuse me? Is your name Lorraine Stanley? Yeah, that's right. Sweet Lorraine, that's my billing. You with the band? No, we're police officers. I'd like to talk to you for a minute if we can. 
Well, sure, all right. I was just rehearsing a little. What's it about, officer? Do you know a Fred Gunther, Miss Stanley? Fred? Yeah, I know him. I used to be engaged to Fred. You happen to know where he is now? No, I don't. Guess I haven't heard from him in three, four months. Usually looks me up when I'm in town. Maybe he's sore about something. I don't know. Has he contacted you at all? Not since I got back from Bakersfield a month ago. I played 32 weeks in Bakersfield, the Ramble Inn. Sure hated to leave. Nice place. Mm-hmm. Where does Gunther stay in town? Do you have to know that? Used to be that hotel on South Flower. Called him there, but they said he moved. Used to like Fred a lot. Not enough to marry him, Do you have any idea where he might have gone, where we could contact him? No, I really don't. Nothing wrong, is there, about Fred, I mean? No, it's just a routine investigation. We'd like to talk to him. What's it about? Can you tell him? It's a robbery investigation. We want to locate Gunther. Do you happen to know any of his friends here in the city? No. Maybe that's why he didn't call. He's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Robbery? Is that it? Well, we just like to talk to him, that's all. Well, if he's done something wrong, I'm not going to hide him. I can't afford to get mixed up in it. I've got a career to think about. I've worked too hard to throw it away. Well, how about the places Gunther usually visits, Miss Stanley? Bars, restaurants. You know any of those? I remember a few. I can give you the names if you like. Poor Fred. I hope he didn't do it for me. Ma'am? Fred says he's in love with me. I don't know. He thinks I want money. Maybe that's why he's doing it. I told him, but he never believed me. All I want is my career. Well, do you think that Gunther might come around here to see you? Probably. He usually does when I'm in town. How about where you're living? I'm staying at a different hotel this trip. He doesn't know where he is. Poor Fred. He's going to be awfully disappointed. Hmm? How do you mean? Oh, he said he was going to get money and buy a ring. He's going to marry me this time. Poor Fred. This is my new theme, officers. You like it? Uh-huh. Just one more thing, Miss Stanley. If Gunther contacts you by phone, will you be sure and let us know? All right, I'll do that. It's your beautiful theme, isn't it? Piano player in Bakersfield, he wrote it for me. Yes, ma'am. Oh, Fred understands. I don't want to hurt him, but I can't marry him. How do I make him understand? How do I explain it? I don't think you'll have to, ma'am. Before we left Lorraine Stanley, we told her that if Gunther should contact her, not to tell him that she'd talked with us. Stakeouts were placed on the dance hall where she worked and at the hotel where she was staying. Gunther's known hangouts were also covered. The next night, the kid bandits were back in business. They hit twice, a liquor store on Franklin Avenue and a tavern on South Flower. Gunther and Reimers were again identified as the two suspects. The stakeouts continued. The search went on. Four days later, we got a tip from the proprietor of a shoeshine stand on West Temple that Gunther's partner, Harold Reimers, had been seen entering a small hotel up the street from his stand. We drove over and checked with the desk clerk. He identified Reimers' mugshot. He told us that the suspect wasn't in, but that he was expected back that night. Ben and I went on stakeout in his hotel room. 7 p.m. Reimers failed to show. Getting a little hungry, Joe. You? Yeah. What time you got now? Uh, 20 after 7. My stomach's starting to growl. Yeah. And what's that, a parade? Well, I don't think so. Let's see. Oh, it's the Salvation Army Band. Oh, yeah. Saturday night. Might as well check the office, huh? See if we can't get a relief. Yeah. Would you get me Michigan 5211, please? Michigan 5211. Yeah, we'll pay for it. Thanks. Would you close the window, George, a little noise? Yeah, okay. Robbery, please. 
Yeah, Young, this is Romero. How's that? You sure? Okay, thank you. Gunther and Reimers, they pulled a hold up down South Main. When? 20 minutes ago, Gunther got away. Yeah. They got Reimers. 7.45 p.m., Ben and I got back to the city hall and went to the interrogation room. Together with Young and Carr from robbery, we tried to question the suspect, Harold Reimers. We talked to him for over an hour. He refused to tell us anything. We took him to the main jail where he was booked on 211 PC. 9.15 p.m., we went back to the office. I'll get it. Robbery, Romero. Just a minute. For you, Joe. Okay, thanks. Friday talking. Sergeant, this is Lorraine Stanley. Yeah, Miss Stanley. I'm over at work. The dance hall, you remember? Yes, ma'am. Anything wrong? Well, Fred just called me, Sergeant. I told the officers here. Fred Gunther? Yes, ma'am. Where is he? Did he say? No. All he said was he wanted to see me. Yeah? He said he was coming right over. 9.25 p.m. We called the men on stakeout at the dance hall and alerted them. Elton Young, Ben, and I got in the car and drove over. We checked with the detail on stakeout. Gunther hadn't been spotted, but because of the large crowd entering and leaving the dance hall, it was possible that he could have gotten in unnoticed. We talked to the Stanley girl. She hadn't seen or heard anything further from the suspect. Ben and I staked out in her dressing room where Gunther said he'd meet the girl. It was a small converted storeroom at one end of the dance floor just behind the bandstand. Lorraine Stanley was on during the intermission. We waited. What have you got, Joe? Uh, almost 10.30. This guy must feel pretty sure of himself. He pulls a robbery, he's almost picked up, and three hours later he makes a date to show in a public play. Well, he hasn't shown yet. I'm not too sure about that Stanley girl. How do you mean? Well, if she's that big an attraction for him. This is the only way out, huh? Besides that fire escape off the alley. Yeah, Young's covering the alley. Come on. Behind one of those trucks. He can't go far. It's a dead end. Stay here, young, and cut him off. You all right? Yeah, he slugged me, knocked me down. I didn't see him in the dark. Come on, Ben. Yeah. Easy, huh? Hmm. You're dark. Yeah. Watch it behind that truck. Make room. I'm coming out. Watch it, Joe. Missed him. Coming at you, young. Stay with him, Young. We'll call in. Yeah, right. Closest place is that little cafe off the alley to the left. Thanks. Come on, Ben. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I guess they got a phone inside. Come on. Wait a minute. As soon as we get Gunther downtown, we're going to come right back here. Four four. Take a look at that fry cook in the window there. Yeah. What about him? That fellow makes a Spanish omelet exactly like I do. <laughs> July 19th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 86, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Friends, if you're a long cigarette smoker like I am, remember, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Now, believe me, this difference is mighty important. So important that you'll always remember the first pack of Fatimas that you buy. Fatima's fast-growing popularity backs me up on that. 
But look, you can prove it to yourself by getting a pack of Fatimas tomorrow. You'll find that they now cost the same as other long cigarettes. And your first pack will convince you to go right on smoking them. Join me and the new thousands who enjoy Fatima's extra mildness. Fatima's rich, better flavor and aroma. You'll discover what all we Fatima smokers know. In Fatima, the difference is quality. Fred Gunther and Harold Reimers were tried and convicted on several counts of robbery and assault. They received sentences as prescribed by law. They're now serving their terms in the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet portions transcribed from Los Angeles. We the People is next with stories of today on NBC. have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to narcotics detail. A band of dope peddlers launches a full-scale operation in your city. Their merchandise, marijuana, their victims... High school students, your job, get them. You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with other long cigarettes. You'll find they now cost the same. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see, Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended. And Fatima is extra mild with a much different much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. So compare Fatima yourself. Fatimas now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. Start enjoying Fatima tomorrow. the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, April 11th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of narcotics detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Kearney. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from R&I, and it was 10.25 a.m. when I got to Central Station. Narcotics detail. Joe? Hi. What'd you find out? Talked to the coroner. He finished posting the body. Yeah. 
Cause of death, multiple fractures of the skull, internal injury. Boy was 17 years old. Yeah. Did you check the car? Yeah, the kid must have been doing at least 70 when he hit that street light. It's a real mess. Car was really wound around that pole. We're going to have to dig up a fast answer somewhere. Lousy racket. Well, there's only one way to burn it out. Find the big man and throw the book at him. Make him an example he'll never forget, huh? You check the juvenile bureau? Yeah, the evidence has been booked with the property clerk. How about the boy's parents? Mrs. Moore wasn't feeling too well. He drove her home. Father's still down the hall, Inspector Walker's office. Well, can we talk to him now? Yeah, he should be free by now. Let me check the book for you. already did. There's no call. Oh, okay. Let's go. You know, there's only one thing fortunate about this whole thing. What do you mean? Well, the kid being alone when he cracked up would have been a slaughter if he had a car full of his friends with him. It's still pretty grim. How's the boy's father taking it? Usual, pretty rough. He should be able to help some. Yeah. Mr. Morrow? Yes, Sergeant. Inspector asked me to wait here for you. Yes, sir. This is my partner, Sergeant Friday. Mr. Morrow, Joe. Mr. Morrow, Mr. Friday. I just don't understand it, Sergeant. I don't understand any of it. My boy Ken wasn't the type to go racing around like that in the car. He never took the car without my permission. I just don't know what got into it. Had you noticed at all whether your boy was acting a little strange the last few weeks or so? No. Of course, I only saw Ken in the morning, a few hours in the evening. I'm at the office all day. Why do you ask that? Well, was he going out very often on school nights, uh, keeping odd or unusual hours? He used to go to the library three or four nights a week to do schoolwork. Got home about midnight a few times, and I warned him about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you have any way of knowing if he was really spending his nights at the library? No, but I took his word for it. Ken didn't lie to me. What's this have to do with the auto accident, Sergeant? I don't think I understand. The officers investigating the accident, sir, they checked over the car afterward. What was it? Were the brakes bad? What did they find? Joe? Yeah. Now, you see this small metal case? We found it in the front seat on the floor of the car. What's that stuff inside? Did this belong to Ken? Yes, sir. We think he was using it. What for? I don't know. It's marijuana. Men and women who traffic in narcotics all the way from the small-time peddler to the big wholesaler are rated among the lowest kind of criminal. One step lower, you find an even more vicious kind. Those who lure youngsters into the deadly trap of narcotics, who feed on the nickels and dimes by supplying their young victims with dope. The death of 17-year-old Kenneth Morrow was the second of its kind within eight months. It seemed to stem from unidentified suspects who were making it their business to build a thriving marijuana trade among high school students. Thursday, 11 a.m., we continued to question the dead boy's father, Thomas Morrow, but he couldn't tell us anything further that might help. Friday, April 12th, we checked with the principal of the high school which the Morrow boy attended. We talked to the boy's teachers and checked his school record. His marks had been above average till about three months before when they began to fall off for no apparent reason. We got a list of most of the boy's friends from his teachers and we started checking them out. One was a 16-year-old blonde girl, Peggy Kane, supposedly Kenneth Morrow's girlfriend. We found her waiting outside the music room. Yes, Ken and I went around together for a while. He was a real nice boy. Did you see each other quite a bit, Peggy? Oh, for about five or six months, yes, we got along fine. Just after Christmas was the last time I went out with him, and we double-dated. Mm-hmm. Did he seem all right to you then? I mean, did he act different at all? Well, a little different, yes. Not silly, you know. He just wasn't like he used to be. Well, how do you mean? Well, he didn't talk the same. Ken was a real nice boy most of the time. 
I guess he started getting in with the wrong crowd. He began to swear, you know, bad talk, things like that. When did all this start, Peggy? Do you remember? Just before Christmas, I think. I'm not sure. Poor Ken. Is there anything else you might have noticed? I don't know. Ken used to be pretty good about his studies. Then all of a sudden, it seemed he just didn't care. Sometimes he'd come into the library. We used to study there. And he'd make a lot of noise. He'd just changed, that's all. For a while, we didn't see each other there anymore. Well, why was that, Peggy? We just didn't come down. I called his house a couple of times. His folks said he was at the library. I didn't say anything to him. Mm-hmm. Well, did Ken have many friends here at school? Do you know that? Not many, no. I see. Well, those he did have, who would you say was closer to him? Well, gee, I don't know, Sergeant. There were half a dozen of them. Ken used to be with all of them. No one boy in particular? Well, Bob Lavelle, maybe. I saw Ken in Bob's car a few times. Does Lavelle go to school here? Yes, he's a senior. Ken used to work with Bob down in the cafeteria after school, but he got in the mix-up. He was fired. Bob was fired? No, Ken. He was rude to one of the ladies down there who does the cooking. Bob still works there. Would he be at the cafeteria now, do you know? Yes, I think so. The fountain's open until about 3.30. And you think that this Bob Lavelle was about the closest friend that Ken had, huh? I think so. The only one I know, anyway. Have you talked to Ken's folks? Yeah, we have. I feel so sorry for him. Gee, I think I have to go now, Sergeant. I have a chemistry class. Just one more question, Peggy. Last time you went out with Ken on this double date, who was the other couple? Do you remember? I don't remember their names. They were some kids I never saw before. Ken knew them. It wasn't much of a date. Mm -hmm. Where did you go? We started for the show, but Ken changed his mind. He wanted to go to the beach and park. He was acting funny, talking all the time, saying silly things. The other boy was the same way. Oh, were they drinking? No, I never saw Ken take a drink. I couldn't smell any liquor on his breath. I don't know. It was such a silly thing. What's that? Well, maybe it's just my imagination, but Ken and this other boy had a real terrible musty smell about him. I kidded them about it, and they said they'd been to a tea party. That's where they got it. They kept talking silly like that all evening. Mm, I see. Was the musty smell all over the car or just on the boys? All over. Yeah. Kind of made me sick, but they didn't seem to mind it. Look, I'd like you to think real careful, Peggy. Have you ever come across that musty smell on anybody around the school here? Yes, I have, a couple of times. Makes me sick. What is it? Who did you notice it on, Peggy? Bob Lavelle. Ben and I went back to the principal's office and checked the record on Robert Lavelle. He was 18 years old, and he was scheduled to graduate in June. The registrar told us that there was a good chance that he wouldn't be graduated because his marks had been poor for the better part of the year. They dropped even lower during the present semester. Lavelle had played football the year before and had made third string on the all-city team. He was well-liked by his teachers. For the last two years, he'd worked part-time at the school soda fountain. We went down to interview him. Nice setup, huh? Yeah. Cafeteria, soda fountain. Wasn't like that in my day. Mm, That must be the boy there behind the counter. Oh, yeah. Let's sit down. Mm -hmm. How about that, Joe? What's that? That sign hanging up there. Idiot Spatial. Five scoops of ice cream, marshmallow, bananas, chocolate, strawberry flavoring, whipped cream topping, maraschino cherries, chopped nuts, and onion? No, you're reading over. That's on the hamburger sign there. Oh. Yeah? You want something? Chocolate soda. Could you make it with vanilla ice cream, please? Chocolate soda with vanilla cream. Are you Bob Lavelle? Yeah, that's right. Police officers, Bob. We'd like to talk to you. Oh, Oh, I'm pretty busy right now. Got to clean up. We close in a few minutes. I'll make you soda right away. You say chocolate? 
Yeah, that's right. We'll make it brief. Did you know Ken Morrow, Bob? A little, yeah. He used to work here. Did you spend much time with him? Outside of school, I mean? Not much. Went to a couple of shows together, that's about all. I'm kind of rushed now. When was the last time that you saw him? You remember? A week ago, I guess. Too bad about Ken. How about the night he was in the accident? Did you see him then? No, I didn't know him too well. He went around with a different crowd. Mm-hmm. They reached me a bag of those cashews, huh, Joe, on the card there? Yeah. Oh. There you go. Oh, thanks. Want some? Crisp? No, no, thanks. The nuts are a dime, officer. Right there on the counter, Bob. Oh, yeah. I got to get going as soon as I close. I have to get out of town. We talked to some of Ken Morrow's friends around the school, Bob. They tell us that he used to drive around in your car with you quite a bit. Just a couple of times around school. And you hadn't been with him for about a week before the accident. That's right. Just what I told you. Mm-hmm. You want a little whipped cream on that? Yeah. Yeah, Lil. How about a cherry? Good. Good idea. There you are. Thank you. Too late to fix a hamburger? Yeah, I really got to close up. It's getting a little late, officers. I'm going to have to close up right now. Well, we'll make it fast. Uh, did you notice anything different about the Morrow boy in the last few weeks? Anything peculiar at all? No, he was the same as ever. I didn't notice anything. All right, look, Bob, we're going to lay it out for you. Did you know he was using marijuana? No, I didn't know anything about it. you have any idea where he might have gotten it? I wouldn't know that. Look, you mind if I lock up the counter now? I'll come around the other side. Sure, go ahead. I didn't know that about Ken, officer. I wouldn't know where he got the stuff. You sure he was using Mary? Well, we found some in his car. We found some more in his locker upstairs. Well, that's tough. Anything more, officer? I gotta hurry. Well, it's just routine, Bob. We did the same with the other boys we talked to. We'd like to check your locker. You don't mind, do you? I gotta get out of town. I'm late now. Your locker's just upstairs, isn't it? Won't take that long. It's important to me. I gotta get out of town. We've got our car outside. We'll drive you down. We'll be down there in no time. No, I've already got a ride. Can't you check it tomorrow? It's not gonna take a minute, Bob. Now, let's go, huh? All right. Say, I happen to remember I didn't bring my locker key today. That's so? Yeah. Come to think of it, I don't know where it is. I guess I lost it. Well, they must have a pass key around here, don't they? Well, I don't think so. Well, we'll ask at the office, huh? You're putting me in a jam, officer. That's going to take time. I'm due downtown. I'm sorry, Bob, but we got to check it. I got my locker all jammed up with stuff. It'll take us an hour. Office is down there, Joe. Yeah, all right, let's go. I don't know why you're picking on me. My locker's jammed. They can't get it open. Why are you picking on me? Let's ask him here. Go ahead, Bob. Close the door. Yeah? I got my key. I'll show you. Robert Lavelle took us to his locker and opened it. Hidden inside one of his gym shoes, we found four sticks of medium-grade marijuana. We took them, put them in an envelope, and sealed it. On the way downtown, the boy told us that he'd been buying the stuff for about six months and reselling it to some of the students at the high school. Said that he paid 50 cents a piece for the sticks and sold them for 75. 
He was an occasional user himself. Before we turned him over to the juvenile officers, he told us that a man named Ray Jensen supplied him with the marijuana. Jensen's address was a trailer camp in the southwest part of Los Angeles. We drove out and checked with the operator of the camp. He pointed out Jensen's trailer at the rear of the camp. That one, Joe? The blue and gray one? Yeah, this is good right here. Okay. Looks like Jensen's doing well, huh? Yeah, nice looking trailer. Just a minute. Yeah? Police officer. <laughs> All right, open it up. Get out of here. Come Get on. out. Watch it, Joe. All right, hold it, mister. Get out. Get out. All right, Jensen. Ooh. That's good, Ben. I'll get him. Yeah. All right, come on. Get out. What's the pitch, huh? Where's your warrant? It's all over the floor, Jensen. Marijuana. Who tipped? One of those lousy kids, huh? Which one? You guess. You know enough of them. You can't tab me for all that. I'm not the big guy. All right, then who is? I don't know. I'm only one of the mules. Where do you get your stuff? The big guy, the big tomato. That's what they call him. Yeah? Big man. Nobody sees him. I don't even know what he looks like. Neither do you. You let us worry about that. Come on. A big tomato. That's what they call him. You won't get him. He's smart. You won't get him in 89 years. Maybe not, but we'll get him. You are listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. Now, here's an authentic report from Fatima Cigarettes. 1949, Fatima more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. 1950, another record-breaking year with more long cigarette smokers insisting on Fatima quality than ever before. In 1951, enjoy Fatima quality yourself. Yes, friends, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos, the finest Turkish and domestic varieties, extra mild and superbly blended, to give you a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Quality of manufacture. Smooth, plump cigarettes rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Quality. Even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow package. Carefully wrapped and sealed to bring you Fatima's rich, fresh, extra mild flavor. Compare Fatima yourself. Fatima's now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Start enjoying Fatima quality yourself. Insist on Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. Friday, April the 12th, 7 p.m. We searched the trailer and a stakeout was placed on it. And then we took Ray Jensen downtown to the main jail where he was booked for suspicion of narcotics, a felony. The next day, Ben and I went back and questioned him. We got nowhere. The only thing he'd tell us was that the leader of the marijuana ring was unknown to him. The big tomato, that's all he could tell us. We went back and started rechecking leads furnished us by some of the high school boys who had purchased narcotics from Robert Lavelle. They all ended nowhere. Meantime, the flow of marijuana into the schools and into the hands of the teenage students continued. We'd no sooner choke off one source of supply when two more would turn up. We knew that there was only one real solution. Find the gang leader and wipe out the entire supply and distribution setup. 
We stayed on it. Monday, April 22nd, Ben got a call from one of his informants that he had a lead on the source of marijuana on the east side of town. The informant's name was Willie Breck, a groundskeeper at a golf course near one of the city high schools. We drove out to talk to him. We located Breck by the clubhouse near the first tee. You remember my partner, don't you, Willie, Joe Friday? Oh, yeah. Hi. How are you, Willie? Kind of busy today. Big tournament. Yeah, quite a crowd you got here. It's a nice turnout. You've been having trouble, huh? How to marry in town? Yeah, you think you can help us? Maybe I can. Dirty business, huh? Working high school kids with that stuff. It's real dirty. Any ideas, Willie? Don't know how much of it's true. It's all from the grapevine downtown. The boss is somebody they call the Big Tomato. Funny one, huh? Any idea who he is? Couldn't say. He's getting lots of this stuff in, though. Usual feed line over from Mexico. Mm-hmm. What else, Willie? I hear there's more on the way. Don't know when, though. All for high school trade. Guess they figure they got a good business. How'd they get in the junk over, do you know? No, but it's getting here. Almost any kid can get some over on this side of town. Imagine that. Kids in their teens. Weed hits. Yeah. How about this big tomato, Willie? No word at all? This one, pretty thin. Yeah. There's a connection. Lives over on Hauser Boulevard. Got his number here somewhere. It's supposed to be the main connection for this tomato guy. Oh, yeah. There's his address. Uh, third number there. It's a six. His name is Tony Childs. Mm-hmm. Is he supposed to handle all the stuff? Most of it, I hear. Gets it all from the big tomato. Mm-hmm. That about it? That's it. Tony Charles, you got the address. Many thanks, Willie. Anything comes up, you'll call, huh? Sure thing. How's the job out here? Better than yours. I sure wouldn't want it. Working every day around joy poppers, mules, mainliners. Well, somebody's got to do it, Willie. Yeah, but not for me, Sergeant. Those dopesters are all lice. Selling junk to kids. Guess you met the lowest, huh? No, not yet. We're looking for him. back to the office and checked the name and address of Tony Childs through R&I. No previous record. A stakeout was placed on his home and at his place of business. Childs himself was placed under 24-hour surveillance. A week passed. Nothing happened. Another week. Still nothing. There was no let-up in the supply of marijuana finding its way into the city and then into the schools. We couldn't see the beginnings of the racket, but we saw the end result. The percentage of juvenile users was still on the upswing. Wednesday, May 8th. We heard rumbles of another big marijuana buy in the offing. Either it failed to materialize or we missed it. Friday, May 10th. Ben and I took our turn shadowing the suspect, Tony Childs. Can you see him from here, Joe? Yeah. He's still in the barber shop. There's two guys with him. Yeah. Ten past four. We better check in, huh? Yeah, I'll call in, huh? Drugstore there. Must have a phone. Yeah, all right. I'll be right back. Narcotics, please. Thank you. Yeah, Johnny, it's Joe Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we got him paid. Okay, right away. Bye. What have you got? Tony Childs. They want him picked up right away. 
How come? Well, they just raided this place. They found 32 ounces of weed in his room. Supposed to have more on him. Well, let's go. Come on. What do you think, trouble? Well, don't be surprised. Charles, I'd like to talk to you. What's that? Police officers I'd like to talk to you and your two friends here downtown. Can't make it, copper. Flying to Vegas tonight. We want to see you downtown first. Look, don't push me, huh? Nobody's pushing you, Charles. We want to see you downtown. Now, come on, let's go. Look out, Joe! Rapping, Sam! <laughs> That's it. Three of them. Okay. I'll get them. All right. All right, come on, you. And I'm glad this doesn't come up often. Where's the barber? He ran outside. Rough one, huh? Yeah. What's your hunch, Joe? Think one of these three is the big tomato? I don't know. Let's ask him. A search of the barber shop failed to reveal the presence of any narcotics. Tony Childs and his two companions were found to have a dozen sticks of marijuana in their possession. They were treated for cuts and bruises at Georgia Street and then booked for suspicion of narcotics, a felony, at the main jail. Three other men found at Childs' apartment at the time of the raid were also booked. We got nowhere questioning any of them. As usual, we had the small fry, but the ringleader, the big tomato, was still in the clear. Still free to hire somebody else to run the marijuana supply line into the high schools. Three weeks passed. Together with Captain Kearney and Sergeant Barr, Ben and I rechecked our earlier leads. We ran down anything that even looked like it might be promising. Nothing panned out. Wednesday, June 5th, 5.30 p.m., we got a call from the main jail. Tony Childs wanted to talk to us. Ben and I went over to see him. Charles? I got something for you. Been playing the stooge long enough. If I'm good enough for jail, so's he. All right, what do you got? It's a big buy coming off. When you get him, tell him how long I've been in here. What kind of a buy? Mary, one of the biggest. It was set up before I got in here. Where's the mate gonna be? Bruno Street, down by the train yards. I'll draw you a map. Setup's the same. Car pulls up and honks a couple of times in an alley down there. Who's handling the buy? A big man. Don't waste any time. When is it? Tonight. back to the office and met with Sergeants Barr and Jacobson. 8 p.m. Ben and I took up our positions on the stakeout along with the rest of the men. We had a clear view of the exact location where the buy was to be made. We waited. 10 p.m. 11 p.m. No one showed. Midnight came and went. 1.30 a.m. Still no sign. At 18 minutes of two, we spotted a man carrying a shopping bag emerge from behind a row of freight cars near the end of the rail yard. He made his way across the street to the alley. He stood back in the shadows. As soon as the car gets in the alley, we pull up and block it, huh? Yeah, that's right. Beck will do the same thing down at the other end. Headlights coming in the alley. Women. No. No, they're going on through. What's the time now? Four minutes to two. We waited. Eighteen minutes passed. 
Still no sign of the car that, according to Childs, was supposed to be there for the big buy. We could still see the figure of a man with a shopping bag huddled in the alley. 3 a.m. Joe? Yeah? Car down there in the alley? Yeah. That's it. You want to start up? Yep. Just enough to block the alley. Uh-huh. That's good. All right, come on, let's go. Come on. All right, kill your engine and get out of the car. Joe, look out! They can't go far. Come on. All right, let's get them out of there. Yeah. Come on. There's three of them. Yeah. Here's the guy with the shopping bag. All right, I got it. Crash knocked them cold. Yeah. That's one. Easy there. Yeah. Pull right over there, will you? Yeah. That's, get his coat off of that. I got it. Okay. That's it. That's there it. All three of them. Yeah. Hey. Hey, look at this, Joe. Yeah. Found one of them in this guy's hand. Tin can, huh? Mm-hmm. Full of marijuana. Did you look at the labels on those cans? Yeah. Fancy, solid, packed tomatoes. Well, there he is. The big tomato. just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On October 3rd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 89, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Friends, if you're a long cigarette smoker like I am, remember, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Now, believe me, this difference is mighty important. So important that you'll always remember the first pack of Fatimas that you buy. Fatima's fast-growing popularity backs me up on that. But look, you can prove it to yourself by getting a pack of Fatimas tomorrow. You'll find that they now cost the same as other long cigarettes. And your first pack will convince you to go right on smoking them. Join me and the new thousands who enjoy Fatima's extra mildness. Fatima's rich, better flavor and aroma. You'll discover what all we Fatima smokers know. In Fatima, the difference is quality. John A. Stanson, alias the Big Tomato, along with his associates in the narcotic gang, was tried and convicted for violating the State Narcotic Act. He received sentences as prescribed by law and are now serving their terms in the state penitentiary. The radio editors of the United States and Canada have named Dragnet the best radio program of its type for 1950. And Dragnet's Jack Webb, the most promising star of tomorrow. In behalf of Dragnet, I'd like to thank the radio editors of the United States and Canada and the editors of Motion Picture Daily who conducted the voting in the 15th annual poll for Fame magazine. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, best 